Hi, I'm Callie. And I'm Shelby. We are two sisters with a passion for finding a healthier way of living for us and our families. Follow along for simple tips and guidance on how to reframe wellness in your life, one small change at a time. Hi, welcome to episode six of the Reframed Wellness Podcast. Um, If you didn't listen to last week's episode, I do suggest going to listen to that one first because we talk about um, it's all things pregnancy and and health when it comes to wanting, you know, starting to conceive and also during pregnancy. And then in this part of it, we're going to talk about labor, delivery and postpartum. So um, not that you have to listen to it in chronological order, but I think it it makes a little more sense if you do. So if you didn't listen to last week's, maybe pause it and go listen to that one first. But if not, you can go back and listen to that one as well. Um, But yeah, we're going to talk about uh, the second half of of all that goes into the crazy nine months of creating a baby. And then you finally get to the end and now you're at labor and delivery. And obviously we talked a little bit about that with Shelby's birth stories, but wanted to go into more depth of how you can hopefully help make, you know, that experience the best one for you. Yeah. And if I could start out with saying something, I think it's really important in most situations that truly is what is the safest and healthiest option for us. Yeah. And when talking about terms of like, you know, health of health for the mother and the baby, But with that saying, does that mean that any of these other things that we talk about are not sometimes necessary or sometimes what's the best or healthiest in that situation? For you. Yeah. So, And the answer is is absolutely not. So to say, okay, for most people having a, what I'll say is an unmedicated and uninduced or non-induced labor is generally the safest and we'll, we'll talk about statistics but does that mean that if you end in a c-section that's not what was the best no like there are times where a c-section is necessary yeah. there's times where pitocin is necessary or an induction is necessary or um a, an epidural like yes. all of these things have their time and place so i don't want anyone to think like that's you know, both can't be true. Yeah. And I think that's important to address because like, like I said, we, and we both been through it. Like I've had a C-section and of course in that situation, that's what was needed at that time. Well, and you mentally and like physically and in so many ways, I, I, I mean, you can tell me if you feel differently, <laughs> but I don't think you would have been prepared for an unmedicated, unmedicated, like if for whatever reason the epidural didn't work or whatever, I mean, would you have been in the right mindset? Not saying you couldn't have done no, it, but as 1000% anyone yes. can do it. But in that moment for me, it wasn't. That was what you needed. And so, but what I took from it is I learned. So in my second and third pregnancy, yeah. I was able to have the birth the, you wanted, the birth yeah. I wanted, but not only that, but also have some of the risks taken off from another C-section, you know, yes. different things. Right. And so I want to say that like anyone can truly prepare to have a, the safe birth that they want. Right. Yeah. But sometimes things do come up and that's okay. And it doesn't have to mean that your birth is any less, um, 
like any less beautiful yeah Yeah. amazing but but i think the important thing is we need to be able to talk about it in a way where we can we can educate ourselves and say okay this is what is generally the best but in these situations this is where i might want you know x y and z and when we can educate ourselves first then then we can really make the best decisions in the moment because no one can make an informed decision in the middle of labor (laughs) without like having that previous knowledge yes yeah and i think you know there's as women we should not judge another for their choices or for whatever they went through you know um even if you are someone who believes in an unmedicated uninterrupted birth but somebody says you know what i know that i want an epidural and i know i want this there's there's nothing wrong with that right like we need to we need to love and be accepting of each other now again i think knowledge is really important and it goes back to okay just being aware of what you're putting in your body being aware of the risks Mm -hmm. and the complications and if you are aware of those and you're given true informed consent even if you have to give that to yourself because a doctor isn't giving it to you or the anesthesiologist it it just then you can make that decision based on the knowledge that you have and that's what we're trying to get at is just you know all all birth is natural so i don't i don't even love the term natural but i think shelby and i use it just because it's the easiest way to say without medicine without it's the most natural form meaning there's it's just no kind of the way to describe it. exactly so not that we're not saying it's natural in the way that it is better than any other birth so don't yeah definitely don't take it that way all birth is beautiful there's like shelby said there's so many um reasons why these other things may need to happen but this is coming from a place of like infant and mother mortality rates just increasing and why we need to talk about that because it it is a big problem especially in the united states and northern america it is a huge problem and i don't think it's talked about enough so if we can talk about it and more people can be educated i think we can get to a place where you know it it's not we're not pinning each other against you know i i feel like sometimes it's like oh you did it this way you're trying to show off like yeah. why people think that i wanted to do unmedic unmedicated was to show off that i could do it that way and it's like no it's it's not it came from a place of again just knowledge and and what i felt was best for me in that time and again <clears throat> i went into my first three pregnancies of like i walked in i wanted to be induced i wanted an epidural and i didn't feel anything wrong with that and I didn't, and I never really felt like I was, you know, shamed or judged by other women. But I think that's important too. Like, let's not judge each other. Let's not, everybody's situation is different. But, but at the same time, also try to challenge yep. your thinking of, hey, maybe I thought, because I totally had to go through this, maybe, you know, what I thought isn't actually what's accurate what's yeah what's reality and maybe things could be done but because i also think that there's a lot of trauma with birth in the united states which totally doesn't have to be there but again it comes down to these these uninformed um decisions that go into all of these um like steps in in a hospital birth right that it's it um can lead to even if you don't like 
you guys know my story if you listened to it a couple weeks ago like it may not end in a c-section but it can still end in trauma yeah and i think that's something that i i hope that we can help also reduce and avoid yeah you never want to come out of your pregnancy feeling like or yeah and you're just labor thinking i never want to do that like that was so traumatic yeah yeah and we all we all know it like when you when you get a group of women together it's like we could literally play that game of, oh, well, this is what I went through and, and this is yeah. what I went through. And it's like all these trauma stories and, well, okay. and it can play a part in your healing. Yeah. And so how can we change that to we don't have to have so much trauma in birth, mm-hmm. but actually have these beautiful, peaceful, like empowering births that are also safe. And like you said, like yeah. lowering the the risk of mortality and other um, things that come with it yeah no i agree i agree so what uh obviously yeah i I think let's just go into it and what what steps do you think are most important to achieve that so i think it's really important one to to be prepared for labor and so i would put that into four different categories The first would be education. You have to educate yourself on what kind of birth you want, why you want it. Like, I I think it's important for all of us to say like, okay, well, why do I want an unmedicated birth? Or why would I want an epidural, right? Um, And that really comes down to looking at okay, what are, what are the potential risks for getting these things? Um, and so things you want to look into would be induction, epidural, pitocin, um, C-section, looking at all these different options, even things like we kind of touched on last time, like an episiotomy or getting an IV mm-hmm. during labor. Things like this can all um, either put stress on you during labor, which can, you know, cause issues. So yeah. things like to stall or um, heart rates decreasing. Yes. Yep. Oxygen uh, levels changing. I don't know. So you have to be educated on on those options. And knowing, I think it's not even just being educated, but like knowing different times you would want to use them versus times you wouldn't. Uh, so I actually... Um, well, for one thing, I really love, um, it's birthing your way. No, wait, no, built to birth. Sorry. (laughs) Built to birth. Um, she is like, that's her name on Instagram, on YouTube. She is YouTube. I love her too. I love her because she talks, like, she's really good at just, giving all the facts like explaining Explaining it simple yeah um but then i also wanted to yeah i mostly went to her through youtube does she have does she have a podcast does she have a book what is it so she has i think she's just kind of all over social media as built to birth i i've follow her on instagram too and she posts a lot there yeah but then also Oh my gosh, her her YouTube. We'll talk about that in a second. But her YouTube is like really awesome for 
she has she just has so like so much there too well and i think just understanding your body in general as a woman like you may think you know what your body goes through but like i said i didn't even really research (laughs) birth and labor and all these questions until i had my fourth and i remember reading my first book and being like wait my body does that Wait, this, I mean, my mind was blown with some of the information that I should have just known, but I didn't. And obviously that's on me. But when you understand your body and what it's going through and every step that it takes during labor, I think you can be better prepared in just knowing. I mean, it really does take so much of the fear away of just like, oh, wow. I don't know. For me, I love knowing the why behind things Mm -hmm. and the, uh, you know, the ins and outs of things. And so for me, if anything, yeah, it took a lot of that fear away and was just like, oh, this is my body just doing exactly what it needs to to get the baby here. Well, and I'll give an example of like some ways education can serve us. So for example, and this is where, again, it comes down to being able to just talk honestly about what's what's truly best. So then if we don't, if we have something different, we can then still achieve that. And I'll explain what I mean. So for example, um, when we have a vaginal birth, regardless of if it's natural I mean, sorry, unmedicated. I guess that's, that's probably <laughs> I know. But yeah. it's just, yeah, unmedicated or medicated is has benefits that we don't get from a C-section. For example, going through the birth canal, you actually, that's where you pick up um, your gut. The, the baby picks up your gut, basically. You pass microbes. your microbiome to the baby. I the did baby. not learn this until I read that book. <laughs> so, and this is where being educated helps you because if you have a C-section, your baby does not get that microbiome from you. And how that can help serve you is that, okay, if, if, so for example, with my first, and I did know this with my first, this is one thing I did know is, okay, she didn't get past my microbiome because I had ended in the C-section. So that just meant that I needed to then help give her what she needed to set up her microbiome correctly. Yeah. And so and I mean, you really start that kind of mostly, I'd say around six months. I mean, obviously, if you're breastfeeding, that's going to help a little bit. But with the microbiome, it's really going to start with the first foods that they get at six months. So mm-hmm. I knew that going into, okay, once she's getting to that point where it's time to start feeding her food, I need to start giving her the foods that are going to help her microbiome because she didn't get that having a vaginal birth. Yeah. So I think, again, that's where education, when we learn about these things, we can really help um, prepare for what's going to happen. But if something else does happen that we didn't expect, then we can also help give our our children and ourselves the best, like, what, okay, this happened now, what do I do moving forward? Exactly. Like, okay, don't stress about it too much. It happened, it, it... Whatever, but now I know there are additional steps I need to take. Exactly. Yep. Um, well, and something too, like we we have a sister, and her milk never came in, so she never even had the opportunity to nurse. And I know, you know, she tried for a long time, and she used to feel so sad because she would get a lot of flack from people, um, some judgmental comments about, "Oh, you're feeding your baby formula over this," and. That's another thing I think is important is you never know somebody's situation. You know, she had to have surgeries that actually 
affected her her milk coming in and so you just never know when what someone's going through and so again this kind of goes back to not not judging others and not but but that being said i think she with you know this information would have been really good for her to know because she also ended up having to have some some c-sections and then not being able to nurse on top of it you know this is this is good information for people who end up in similar situations of okay yeah that was something that was completely out of your control there's no shame there's no guilt in it but here's what you can do you know to fix it to help your baby yeah because they didn't get that this is now what we can do so that they can still thrive yeah off of what they need yeah and and do the best that you can for them given your situation exactly Yeah. yeah um so education is is really key for that another one i really liked um i took the um i watched the beanie birth course and I really like her course. Um, Beanie, B-I-N-I. Yeah, B-I-N-I. We can link it in the show notes. The reason I liked her birth course too is she was very just direct. So she's had multiple pregnancies and she's had one of everything. So she's had um, births medicated, C-sections, and birth unmedicated. So she's literally had like several different births where um she's She's experienced it all all. (laughs) and so but what i like about her she's just very like okay like matter of fact matter of fact she's like so if you want an epidural great here are the risks here are you know she's she's just what you need to know exactly she lays it out very like matter of fact like you said to where it's very simple for you to like watch and be like okay, that's what I want. That's what I don't want. Or, you know, that's what I'm going to strive for kind of a thing. And she just, she makes it really easy. So I really liked that really helped me with my second one to know, like, what did I want? What did I not want? Um, And I think when you can get information like that from someone who isn't so biased, I mean, obviously, like you said, the whole goal is to do it with like least interventions because it decreases that mortality rate. So, but, but again, not saying what, so I think getting information in an unbiased way of just matter of fact, like these are just the stats. If you are going to have an epidural, just know these are your, your stats. These are your likelihoods. And then you can decide for you. Exactly. And then at the end of the day, that's great. You had the information, you had the data in front of you and you can make the best informed choice for yourself. Yeah. I like when people give the information that way. <laughs> so that was, I, that's some one that I didn't know about, but I would have loved. And that's why I liked that birth, that birth curse. <laughs> birth curse. Shelby's waking up several times a night nursing. We'll, we'll give her a little sorry. slack. <laughs> okay. If she makes up a few words, it's okay. <laughs> there may or may not have been a made up word in one of the first couple episodes that There's we caught. made up words. We're, we're gonna come up with a list of all of our made-up words and they will become we'll, we'll make them we'll, we'll make them real words <laughs> okay so following education the second thing that you think you really have to prepare is your mindset this is one thing i cannot yes. understate enough agreed it is your mindset is everything where your mind goes your body follows and it is never rang truer than in labor. 
And it's not just, I mean, this is science-based. When you are fearful, what do you do? You tense up. And when you tense up, you create more pain in your body. So this is not just like, oh, you know, do, be, clear your mind. It, yes, obviously do that. But there is actual science evidence behind why this is important and how it can make your labors. And, and this is why, you know, all these painless birth or no pain birth all the you know you see these books on that why it truly is achievable because if you can learn to control that you know control your mind, your mind and control mm -hmm. what you're thinking and positive thoughts positive energy it makes you relax and when you relax it's it's intense it's pressure but it's not painful the pain comes when you do not relax and so this is where i'd like to to challenge some of you who feel like and I know I said it before too. Like I was like, oh, I don't know if I could do a, an unmedicated birth. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm strong enough. And yeah. I have that in quotations <laughs> because any woman, like we were made to birth yeah. like that. So any woman can do it. Um, but it truly comes down to your mindset. Like you said, of that is how we can have these bursts that don't feel a lot of pain like that that we're in control of and it actually has a, a lot to do with our endorphins so when you like you mentioned this is again this is all science-based that when you don't like when you remove the fear out of out of birth um and you're doing this unmedicated you actually get a release of endorphins as you you're going through that actually like take away basically like what you would feel as pain so for me when i had my epidural with my first one my contractions were actually i don't know if you experienced this but my contractions were actually way more painful mm -hmm. but it's because i had fear yeah. i i was not in the right mindset with my first and so and for people to hear this it's kind of like sometimes people don't believe me like no, like you did not not feel pain with your unmitigated. And it's like, no, I truly did. I watched you. I can honestly say <laughs> you did not like seem like you were in pain at any point. And not that you weren't laboring and it, giving it your all. But yeah. yeah, pain is not the word I would use it was, to describe it. It was not, not painful, but it was because in, in my second and my third, I didn't have that medication and my contractions were way easier than my contractions with an epidural wow. and it's because of my mindset yeah and so i did i learned before the second and third one to remove the fear and control that during my labors was mm -hmm. keep the fear out and that's truly what what made all the difference and so if you're considering like okay i want to do you know try for an unmedicated birth that is where I would focus, is your mindset. If you can do that, anyone can achieve an unmedicated birth if that's what you want. And you do that by breath work, mm -hmm. positive birth affirmations, um, and, and again, knowledge. Even just for me, it comes from a knowledge base. If you're someone who it may stress you out more to know more, you know you best. Maybe not to know more, but like it, I think – for some people, I'm like thinking of certain personalities of people I know, to, for them to know exactly what their body's going through, it actually may 
stress them out a little more to be like, wait, that has to happen. And then that has to happen. Are you kidding me? You know, but for me, I love the knowledge behind things and it was more, that would help me. But, but I think you do that by knowledge, breath work, birth affirmations, and really getting out of your head. So for whatever that means for you to feel empowered and in control and whatever helps you to get out of your head is. Well, another thing I also think is learning how to welcome the contractions um again that was a thing i feared the contractions in my first one and so when they would come like you said it was like because i had that fear i'd almost like like tense up i tense up because i didn't want them right but i didn't understand like no these contractions are actually what is bringing the baby like out yeah and so then in my second and even my third one like my second one i welcomed them i was like bring on the contractions and i even had an intense 30 minutes where i didn't have a single break from contractions but i was still like like it's getting the baby here yes my body's doing its job because i had that mindset and i could welcome them and then even by the third labor i'm like okay contractions where are you like (laughs) i'm like waiting for them because be but it's again it's that shift in mindset yeah um, and that's why a lot of uh, coaches will refer to them as surges instead of contractions, because, you know, there is this fear yes. base behind the word contraction. Mm-hmm. So if you need to change the word for it, change the word for it. So surges I never had are a problem with contractions, I didn't the either. word yeah. itself, but I do know that it does help a lot of people. Yeah. So like referring it to as a surge can really help. Surges. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then that goes oh and i did want to say built to birth on youtube she has a really great curated playlist for this where she has like fear she it's called like fear cleansing birth and like there's a there's quite a few of them they're like birth affirmations and, that's and this one is what you them, play like during your labor, labor. yes yeah. and um there's like one to like release your anxiety and just there's a ton of she has like a whole curated playlist of affirmations and that's a great place a resource to if you don't want to i also wrote my own affirmations like in a journal and i would say them out loud but then i also used hers and i would use both but if you don't want to write your own and you just want to have them like they're really great too help you get in the right mindset yeah um and then that the the third one that I, you already mentioned is breath work like yeah just learning how to breathe through labor is huge to keep you in the right mindset to keep your body like progressing yeah. with just like whatever's going on in it like keep you kind of in the right like zone yeah yeah and this will be key um like I'm someone, if you're, you're going to be like this, I, I mean, I could do yoga and things, but to sit down and actually just like meditate with like a guided meditation on my phone before I got pregnant with my fourth, I couldn't have sat down and done that for more than three minutes. Like I had to be working out or doing something like yoga for me was okay because I was moving my body. But if you're telling me I just had to like lay in bed and meditate, I couldn't have done it for longer than three minutes and then I zone out, I get bored, I get whatever. And I'm like, meditation's not for me. That's what I thought. 
but it is it, just like with anything it, it takes practice mm -hmm. and um that was something i had to do so it's it's gonna take work like i listened to like i practice breathing techniques i practice and there's a reason you want to practice them because when you are in active labor your mind wants to forget it right you you want to go to the quick breaths and to the <laughs> and you forget to calm down to breathe and so that's why practicing is key because it just like with sports or with anything if you don't if you don't make it a memory if you don't make it a constant rep rep repetitive thing you're going to forget it in those moments and so that's why like doing a couple of things of breath work and then saying oh yeah i'm good no you want to do it throughout your entire pregnancy and really work on it mm -hmm. and then it will help you and towards the end i could have sat and done a guided meditation a guided breath work thing for 30 40 minutes and all of a sudden i was like oh i've been doing Thanks. it for a really long time so if you're someone who thinks oh that's not for me just know, but you, but you still want to make it a goal. It'll take time. Give yourself that grace. And we're not talking about just like, I mean, you'll, if you go look into it, you'll figure it out, but there are specific breath works and spe specific breathing techniques that are particularly helpful during labor. So it's not just like breathe in, breathe out. I mean, obviously that will naturally help to relax you, but there are very specific ones that can help. And now the fourth and final thing I would say that you need to do to prepare for labor is follow your intuition. Um, this is one thing that I think is so important because, and I, I mentioned this in the last one, but only you can really know what's best for you and your baby in that moment better than anyone else. And I'll, I'll tell a little story with this that I did, I specifically didn't tell because I wanted to talk about it today. But, um, so in my last labor, um, I had the situation where following my intuition really helped me. So basically what happened and I'll give a little background. Um, so since my, my, after my first birth, I kind of came to this, um, like philosophy that I truly believe that birth is best when untouched, meaning less interventions we have, um, the better, right? Obviously from my first where I had a lot of, um, to my second, like that really shaped my mind. And, um, so I would say it's very common in kind of the unmedicated world and with midwives to sometimes use castor oil with labor. And yeah, I love castor oil. Not during labor, <laughs> just in general health-wise. There's like a lot of <laughs> – with castor oil, there's like a lot of mixed yes. um, opinions about it. But truly from the science and what I do know is – it actually is very effective when already in active labor. And I know that. So like nine out of nine out of ten women do really well with castor oil when used in active labor. So I already when knew used that properly. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I already knew that like going into it. But it was still something in my mind that I was like, you know what? I still like labor to be best on touch. And to me, that's still kind of like even though it's natural and it can help is like an intervention. Um, 
And when I would not use it is if you're not in active labor to induce labor, I definitely would not use castor oil ever for that. But um, that's kind of where I was standing, but I at least had the knowledge, right? So again, it comes back to knowledge. You have to have knowledge and understanding to really um, make an informed choice. Yeah. How can you make an informed choice if you don't have the knowledge behind it? Exactly. And how can your intuition lead you to a way if you don't know? Yeah. You know, anyways, so with my third labor, if you listen to it again, so during it, it, it was a slower progression. And that was something that my midwife did actually recommend. She said, you are an active laborer. She said, I think it would be really great to, to use castor oil just to, um, like get it going. Speed it along, essentially. Uh Uh-huh. At a, at a point. And initially my mind was like, nope, I already decided I don't want to do it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like I already know, but then I listened to what my intuition was telling me and I truly actually felt like, you know what? No, it'll be okay. Like it in that moment, I kind of knew like, no, this will help. And this is, this is what, like, it's, it just felt right. I, it did. It really did. But I will even say she wanted me to start it earlier and my intuition fell off about that. But I said, you know what? I want to, I want to do this first. And I just wanted to like try to continue to do other natural things to help the progression. And I said, and then at this point, if it hasn't gotten where I want to, then I would like to try the castor. So I even, I didn't just fully accept like her saying, oh, let's do it at this point. Like I followed my intuition to say, you know, no, I don't want to do it right now, but I want to do, you know, if it hasn't let's gotten. Let's see where I'm at. In the, mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it's not to where it's at and that's where my intuition was leading me Mm -hmm. and it actually was really great and it really did help progress well and that's it was shortly after that when i started to really have those consistent contractions um before going into the birthing centers so again like even having the knowledge like my mind at first was like Nope, because that's what my mind had decided before. But then I followed my intuition to what was felt right. And that felt right. And it did help my labor. And some things might feel right that you may have decided, hey, maybe I don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be the opposite. Maybe you decided you once wanted something. And then in the moment, I remember also with my second labor, like I was like, I was in the hospital, but they did say like, you can... Um, they had a tub there and they're like, you can use the tub if you want while laboring. And that's something I thought I wanted in my second labor. But when I got there, I was like, nope, I do not want to get in the tub. And like, you know, just my intuition. And I think because of how quick my labor went, it was probably better that I didn't. Yep. Um, but again, just having that intuition, I think will lead you to what's truly right for you and your baby. Yeah. And listening to it and trust yourself. I think you'll be surprised when that intuition hits and like what it's telling you, but just listen to it. And it is crazy how it really will hit for every single person. And again, if you, if you've done your homework and done your knowledge, done your research to have the knowledge, then that's when, I mean, that intuition may kick in regardless, Mm -hmm. but 
but then that's when you can say like, oh yeah, I feel good about this knowing what I know. And I'm getting that intuition on top of it. Like you said, you exactly. already knew castor oil is for the most part, you know, during active labor active can labor. be a good thing mm-hmm. and is, is a natural remedy, but you still kind of had in your mindset like, oh, I don't want to do that. But then when the time came, you had that knowledge and you didn't have to fear that, oh, this is a bad thing my midwife suggesting or this is unsafe mm-hmm. or you had the yeah i like that i like that a lot very cool i didn't know that yeah so i agree trust your intuition and i love that um and again like the uh the reason why this is also important you know one to make sure taking the trauma out of it um but we've talked about this several times just the the mortality rate and we don't want you to think that we're just making this up (laughs) i actually you know i had already researched this before um having wells our our last baby but he's almost two and so you know i decided oh a couple days ago when i knew we were going to talk about this i was like oh i'm gonna go just see if there's even more studies and more statistics and i'm just going to talk about those for a second because it's Uh, amazing um this was published thursday january 19th 2023 so about a year ago uh just over a year ago so a new multi-country analysis examining average pregnancy length now we're not talking labor length pregnancy length um is and timing of birth in the u.s england and the netherlands suggests that the u.s could improve maternity care outcomes by shifting from an OBGYN centered model of care to one that favors less medical intervention during the birthing process. Um, and so what this study is talking about, and we'll link it so you can, you can read the entire thing if you want to, but I'm not going to read the whole thing here. Um, but it, it's talking about how, um, and this is, so professor Rachel Rowe, uh, was the head of this and she's from Oxford. Um, and she, the population health national perinatal, epidemiology unit (laughs) say that five times fast and (laughs) peu she did this study and it was led by boston university school of public health and harvard medical school and it was just shedding insight on how organizations in the u.s can better their maternity care um and it's crazy the the findings showed that the average length of u.s pregnancy steadily declined by more than half a week between 1990 and 2020 and that might not seem like a lot but if you've been through it before and you have one of those apps that tells you oh this week your baby's doing this this week your baby's doing that it's the coolest thing to read along but there is there's no coincidence that and you actually did a post about this on reframe wellness so you can go look at that but 40 weeks is not a coincidence. There, There's a reason and every single week has its thing. Now, some women just happen to go into birth early or go into labor early and their bodies just kickstart. And obviously we talked about some supplements and health things. A lot of times it is something you may not realize, you know, why your body's going into going to, into labor early. Doesn't mean that, oh, you had your baby a couple weeks early and your body went into natural labor. Oh, there's something wrong with you, you know, but those those things can happen but the reason they're happening in the u.s and these these stats show that that in countries where there's not as high of c-sections there's not the women aren't being induced and they're just allowing their bodies to do these things their weeks aren't changing like the u.s is so These these are also places like i talked about last time that 
most women don't give birth in a hospital unless they're high risk. Yeah. Like it's, they give birth at a birthing center or at home. Yeah. Um, as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so between 1990 and 2020, they went from 39.1 weeks on average to 38 and a half weeks. Um, and that U.S. pregnancies on average are shorter than pregnancies in England and the Netherlands. In 2020, only 23% of U.S. births, U.S. births occurred at 40 or more weeks compared to 44% of births in the Netherlands and 40% of births in England. That is, almost half and in the Netherlands it's half of of what their stats are um so in all three countries the research also examined birth timing by and I thought this was so interesting by hour of day for home births and vaginal births in hospitals and then oh. repeated this analysis limiting the comparison to hospital-based vaginal births without interventions such such as induction or labor augmentation that could possibly alter the timing. So in England and the Netherlands, births at home and in hospital occurred at similar times in the day and, and you know, that's without interventions, um, peaking in the early morning hours between 1 a.m. and 6 a.m. But in the U.S., there is a noticeable difference in birth timing between the two settings. Births at home peaked in the same early morning hours as home births in other countries, while the hospital-based births, even those with no interventions that could affect the natural pattern of timing, largely occurred during standard working hours for clinical staff from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. So, <laughs> if anything, this information is just showing you that they are trying to and again, I don't think it's done with malicious intent, but they are they are intervening with the natural occurrence of birth, the natural occurrence of what our body is supposed to do to do it on their time schedule, on their regularly staffed clinical hours from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. because that is more convenient for them. And I'm not saying that, again, that doctors do this intentionally. I, I think so often it's what they're taught. And so I wonder how many doctors even know these statistics and know that that is, is playing a part. And maybe many, many more of them do. Um, and then we realize, but it's, it's the same concept around, you know, women being told that their bodies just didn't progress naturally. And it was, it was on them, like you said, in the first time. And it's like, no, they just didn't progress in the short time frame that you gave me. And I was only 39 weeks. You know what I mean? You weren't even at 40 full weeks. weeks and you were meant to believe that your body just wasn't going to go into labor naturally. And it's like, well, how do you know? You didn't even give me the chance <laughs> to go to the 40 weeks, you know? So anyways, this we'll, we'll link this study, but essentially it's just saying that the U S can do much better. We're getting too involved and women in the U.S. are meant to believe that we cannot do this without a hospital. We cannot do this without all these interventions and that we're not made to birth. Yeah. And so one thing I have to say with that, because I actually love, I love learning about like the physiology of the body and like why these things happen. Um, there's, it's no coincidence that the births the home births and the ones without interventions happen between one and 6 a.m. majorly because that's actually when our hormone patterns, it, it goes with our hormones to naturally give birth. Yeah. Um, and that, that plays in a role into how successful your birth will be as well with going through those natural birth patterns. Another thing 
Now the hospital is, they often do bright lights. And again, having like low lights is another thing that like helps work with your hormone patterns. Um, so it's no coincidence there. Whereas, you know, a lot of the births here, because they're induced, they're usually, you, you're usually induced in the morning or in the af- yeah. afternoon. Yeah. And it goes a- against those hormone patterns. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, it just, it, these studies are just showing that the more we intervene and the more we try to get involved in controlling our birth, the, the more we're hurting it. And those extra two weeks can make a big difference Huge. for people, for babies, it, more than you may even realize. One other thing I'd also like to just have you think about, especially if you, Obviously, if you've already given birth to all your kids, like, you know, you don't have to dwell on this. But for those who are, you know, planning to still have kids or maybe you're there, you know, you're about to uh, prepare for that stage of, of labor. Um, one thing to think about is also, again, we have to realize what actually induces labor is when the baby's lungs are fully developed. So the the so once the the baby's lungs are fully developed, that's what initiates the body to go into labor. Mm-hmm. And so I want you to kind of think about that because you know if we're inducing labor or we're trying to make it start before the body or the baby is ready, you know that could have effects on our especially our baby's health. And I mean, you may, the one thing that I always think about is you may not even just see it right after birth. It's not like, okay, maybe their lungs needed a little bit more time to develop, but they come out and they're birth and they're just fine. But maybe that's also something that we're seeing as we see asthma um, rise. It's like, you know, their lungs, if they didn't get enough time to develop, who knows when that really affects them. It could affect them later in life with, you know, increased asthma or just harder to do certain things as they get older as far as health. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, you know, how many times maybe your infant didn't end up in the NICU, but you get sent home with an oxygen tank, you know, or, Mm -hmm. you know, and as, as a parent, like, yes, it's okay, but also, how much extra added stress does that add to you as you're trying to nurse mm-hmm. and your baby has an oxygen tube or just the expenses? Uh, that's another thing that's really hard with all these interventions is it just costs more. So why are we spending more money and intervening more on something that doesn't need it? You know, And again, we're not talking about those emergency times. We're not talking about the times when it really is needed. When it is, we're so grateful that we have that mm-hmm. there are there are many third world countries that they don't have that option and their mortality rates are higher um but in in a country where we pride on ourselves on having the best health care why is it that we also have the highest mortality rate it just it doesn't make sense when you start looking at the data you start looking at the research that's when you can come to you know these informed decisions for yourself and say yeah you know what that doesn't make sense let's let's figure this out and honestly they're starting to um the second uh, research uh, thing that I looked into that I wanted to share really quick, and again, we'll we'll link it so you can look at it further. This one astonished me. I was texting Shovin, was like, 
Oh my gosh. Did you know this? Anyways. <laughs> um, so this was published in February of 2023 and it was trends on mer- maternal mortality just from the years 2000 to 2020. Um, it was done by who? So the world health organization, UNICEF, UNFPA world bank group. And, um, UNDESA, UNDESA population division. So there were five groups, one, two, three, yeah, five groups that came together to to pull all this information and get all this data. And this data is outstanding, <laughs> just like the graphs and the charts and the numbers. So I'm just going to talk about a couple. Um, oh, shoot. Let me find the reports. Um, okay. I found my charts and Shelby just let me know that I made up the word outstonishing. <laughs> so we're going to make that a new word instead of outstanding or astonishing. It's outstonishing. <laughs> and this will outstand you. <laughs> um, okay. So you can all, again, we'll link the whole article. It took, I, I mean, it's, it's very extensive and I read through a lot of it, but when I got to the charts and the graphs, I was just like, Oh my gosh, mind blown. And there's several different ones. Um, so this one that just shocked me, it's the comparison of maternal mortality ratio. So they labeled that MMR and number of maternal deaths and percentage change and average annual rate of reduction of maternal mortality ratio by United Nations Sustainable Development Goal region, subregion, and other grouping. So this is just between 2000 and 2020. And mind you, this number is meant to show, again, the percentage change and reduction of mortality, maternal mortality ratio, right? <laughs> so, and these ones, so one thing too, obviously they have um, sub-Saharan Africa. They they divide it by region, um, the regions that were willing to participate in these studies, Northern Africa and Western Africa. Now, with a lot of these African and even some of the Asian ones, one thing they will also show is, well, there's another chart that shows it that I feel like is, is important to note, is it talks about the um, the number of HIV related indirect maternal deaths. And obviously in some of these countries where HIV is still extremely prevalent and it does play a huge role in mother maternal mortality, that obviously plays a factor. So of course, these countries, their maternal rates are higher, but I don't feel like it's fair to compare the U.S. to those because we don't have. In fact, our numbers are um, so in that, um, uh, let's see, let me find North America. North America is zero <laughs> and Western Europe is zero when it comes to HIV. Southern Europe is zero. Northern Europe, zero. Eastern Europe, zero. Australia and New Zealand, zero. So those are the countries I'm going to be comparing us to because we, we are most, um, closely w- when it comes to our healthcare and just overall, um, you know, health and well-being compared, these are the countries that we really should be comparing ourselves to. So again, back to that graph of it's going to show us the, uh, the decrease, the reduction in mortality rate from 2000 to 2020. So just between those countries, um, Australia and New Zealand, number of maternal deaths in 2023, number of maternal deaths in 2020, 13. 
Europe and Northern America. So Eastern Europe, it went from in 2020. Well, I'll just give you the total. Well, no, no, no. Okay, sorry, I can't because North America is in that total. So the total in 2020 to 2022 went, it did decrease from 2000 to 1400. Okay, but wait till you get these numbers. Eastern Europe went from 1100 to 310. They saw a 70% decrease in mortality, infant mortality, or infant, sorry, maternal mortality. Northern Europe went from 110 to 89, so a smaller decrease, but 21. Southern Europe went from 130 to 62, 39.4%. Western Europe went from 170 to 110, so a decrease of 31.9. Are you ready for Northern America? We went from 510 maternal deaths to 810 from 20, 2000 to 2020. In two years, we increased 20. <laughs> Guys, I need sleep. <laughs> in two years. In 20 years, we, I didn't sleep last night either, but I can't even say that out loud because she'll be sitting here with a newborn recording the podcast. I'm sorry. I got like two hours. <laughs> um, we increased by 73% in the last 20 years. And like, even for those people who are going to say, well, maybe COVID played a part, which doesn't even make sense. But I could see some people, in fact, it, it and the reason why I bring that up is because it was mentioned in this article. <laughs> because I think they realize some people are going to try to stretch that and say, oh, well, you know, 19, and that doesn't even make sense because yes, it hit like beginning of 20, but um, all these other countries decrease. So that doesn't even make sense because it was a global pandemic. So if you're going to say like, oh, well, maybe a lot of those had to do with, no, they didn't. Don't try to stretch the COVID <laughs> thing. Like that just, it doesn't logically make sense. So, um, and again, I don't, I only bring that up because the article itself even it's brought that up and mentioned it. So I thought that was funny. How astonishing, how <laughs> outstanding are those numbers? And just sad how mm -hmm. many unnecessary maternal deaths there were in the u.s and so when we talk about these things again it's not to do so by fear or you know trying to shame one birth over the other say this but there's a reason that it's a problem and there's a reason that it needs to be talked about there is no reason with our healthcare, with our knowledge with America being one of the wealthiest countries that we should be having these numbers, that our numbers should be increasing year after year. I mean, a 73% increase in 20 years, that's crazy. Can you imagine if we continue that, what that rate is going to be in another 20 years if we don't start talking about this and fixing it? So it's not just about like, oh, one way of birth is better than the other. It's it's just the statistics behind it and the knowledge behind it. And that, like Shelby said, it, it should be left untouched because that's how we were made to do it. And that's how our bodies were designed to do it. And you can do it. Um, so, you know, that's, I, and again, we'll link these, go do your own research. If you want to go look at these studies yourself. And I think just the more that we realize that the more we can just, again, educate ourselves and, and talk about it and start making changes and making changes for the next generation because mm -hmm. we don't want these numbers to continue increasing. Um, another thing that I didn't have a chance to look at, but you can do when you're shopping around for a provider is look at your hospital in particular and your doctor in particular and look at their C-section rates, look at their maternal mortality rates and 
correct me if I'm wrong, but that information should be made public to you, right? Yeah. You can ask for you that can. information and they are required to give it to you. Yeah. Um, they may give you the runaround. And I've heard of people like that happening to people. But if you're getting the runaround, maybe that's something to be concerned about. Um, you can look at the hospital that you're expected to deliver at and you can look up their c-section numbers and their mortality numbers and do your research based on that too um it, it is crazy across the u.s just how different hospitals are and why are we that way you know if all doctors are learning from the same essential textbook right and if they're all learning at the same med schools and i mean obviously some med schools are are different than others but but essentially, they should be all learning the same concept, right? <laughs> if they're all going to med school and they're all going to become OBGYNs, um, why why is that number so different? Why are other doctors okay with doing C-sections at a much higher rate than other? You know, it's just there's this huge gap that there shouldn't be. It just it doesn't make sense. So don't be afraid to shop around. Don't be afraid to ask these sometimes hard questions. And if if you are in a doctor's office or somewhere and they they make you feel shame or guilt from that, it's okay to step away and say, okay, I'm gonna think about it for a minute or I'm going to, you know, look into this further. You are the patient. You get to choose your provider. You get to choose who is giving you the care and it's, it's your body and your baby and nothing is more important than those two things, you and your baby. So making sure your needs are met and you are getting the care that you need is so important. Well, this is one thing I wish I understood with my first birth because I feel like the outcome could have been night and day difference had I felt like I had that power. Mm -hmm. But again, instead of taking that and just continuing in that way, I really learned from that. And that's what I, that's what I looked for on my second birth. And I, really did my research on my provider and my hospital to make sure that, you know, going for um, a VBAC that I was going to have someone who was going to support me and who was also not, not just like verbally say they support me, but also support me with their practices. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that's a big difference too, because sometimes you will, get a doctor that checks all the boxes and says, yeah, I'll allow you to do that. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. They'll say yes, yes, yes to all the things you want. And then as you get towards the end, oh, I really think we should start looking at an induction date. Oh, I really think you're getting close to that 40 weeks. We need to start looking at this, this, and this. Or like you said, you go in for one routine checkup and your blood pressure is a little high. Oh, I think we need to induce. Well, can we watch my blood pressure for a couple of days if it's not a true emergency right now? Because yes, high blood pressure can be very scary, you know, especially towards the end of pregnancy. Um, and there are times when it can be harmful mm -hmm. for you and your baby. So you do need to be careful. But asking those questions of, okay, well, if it's slightly elevated, can we maybe monitor it for the next couple of days? Can we just knowing that you can pause and ask even, those questions? They only checked it one time and it should have been like, let's. Which you should check it several times anyways to see if you get the same number. Yeah, because it could have been even just a faulty reading. That yes, time. yes. Or it could have been you were slightly stressed for whatever for, reason. Or Yes, it definitely. Sh I know it should have been something that we should have rechecked. Paused. Yeah. Yep. But again, I didn't have that. I just thought, oh, the doctor tells me what I what to do, and so I just do I'm it. Just gonna do it. Yeah. And 
Yeah. That's so, where it left me. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid to say like, even if it's at the end and they're like, stick your ground. And this is where knowledge comes in and knowing what you want and being able to advocate for yourself. And it's okay to do that. And you know what? If you piss off a nurse or a doctor, that's okay. <laughs> because what you, you know, what you get, it's way, it's, it's more worth it in the end for you and your baby yes. to, you know, maybe rub someone the wrong way or irritate mm -hmm. them. But to actually have the best health outcome. Yeah. 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 And you don't have to be rude. It can be a very cordial, respected conversation of, I hear what you're saying and I, I appreciate your information. Here is where I'm at and here's what I'm thinking. I'm I'm going to sit on it for a minute and then I'll let you know. And maybe in the end you go with exactly what the, with what mm -hmm. the doctor suggested. Again, I don't think they're doing it with malintent. I don't think they're trying to harm you. But I do think when you look at these statistics, it's we have to start advocating for ourselves. We have to start taking our health and our baby's health into our own hands because if we continue to leave it as is, these numbers are only going to increase and that's not okay. Like we need to start challenging these statistics in a way of saying, you know what? I've actually done my research and I know that this can increase my risk of mortality. This can increase the baby's risk of mortality. Let's what are my other options or can we can we look at another avenue you know so i think the more we start to challenge it the more we will we'll see a change and it's it's not going to change unless we do the work well said yeah okay should we go into postpartum really quickly yes and i know this could be a whole podcast on its own but i don't <laughs> want to leave you guys high and dry because we said we'd talk about it and i know many women struggle with it um me personally with my third i did get that baby blues where it's like the well and my midwife explained it to me wonderfully after <laughs> with my fourth which is so funny because here i was you know on my fourth and no one had ever explained this to me but the reason and you know again you can always jump in and correct me if i'm wrong <laughs> but uh this is how it was explained to me is that um, you know, obviously we all know that our hormones change and fluctuate during pregnancy, but what I never understood is that, um, instead of gradually coming down, like they gradually change during pregnancy with each trimester, it is a straight plummet. Oh. Our bodies try to like plummet back to where we were pre-pregnancy and that extreme decrease usually happens at about 48 to 72 hours after giving birth. And which is where the baby blues can it come in. Peaks, yeah. So it peaks three at, at day three okay. to day five. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So in between but day three. Yes, and but it's exactly. It kind of starts it. at yes. day two. Okay, mm -hmm. and can peak between days three and five. Yeah. And so I, our sister, she always she never had the uh, depression or anxiety, but she got the baby blues, I think with most of them, if not all of them. And maybe she understood this, but this was just something I didn't understand and why, I don't know. I didn't read enough books. I didn't do enough research. Yes. 1000% it's on me, but it also took me switching over to a midwife practice for the midwife to like sit me down and be like, okay, now I know this is your fourth baby, but I'm still going to explain this to you again. In case you forgot, this is going to happen in the next couple of days. It is really important that you have support at home that you have the support you need during these times and it's okay to feel down it's okay to feel sad but again if you feel 
like causing harm to yourself, harm to your baby. And it's just, again, it just goes back to this knowledge of like, oh, wow, thank you for telling me that. And I am going to watch that because that did happen with my third. Um, But I also had some very stressful things going on in my life at that point that were making me extremely sad. And I sat on the couch and cried, like literally crawled, cried all day, every day for like two days straight. And I thought it was more related to what was going on at that time. But now knowing it was like, it was the baby blues. And I just remember feeling so bad about myself and just like, like my bad mom, because I like can't stop crying. Am I like going to be okay? You know, I remember feeling like, am I ever going to stop crying? And it was only two days, but I was just so, so sad in those two days, you know? So things like this that I just feel like aren't talked about enough. Um, and then with, um, <laughs> I don't have time for this story, but it's actually a really funny story. <laughs> okay. I'm going to tell it anyways, because it's so funny. <laughs> so I didn't know that I had postpartum anxiety until after getting over it with my second. So I had it with my first, had it with my second. And then it wasn't until like in between my second and third that like that term was ever said to me. And then I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I had. And I never went to a doctor because I, I feel like people talk about depression a lot, but you don't hear about the anxiety part of it. So, so after I had Paxton, my oldest, um, I was very anxious after. And I, I think a little bit of anxiousness comes with just being a new mom, you know, everything's mm-hmm. so new and I'm constantly running to Google. They're making this noise. What does that mean? Or, what, you know, or texting my, my sisters or my mother-in-law or, you know, my mom, people who had babies and be like, is this normal? Is that? And I think there's a certain level of anxiousness that's normal, but I would wake up several times a night thinking that someone was going to break in and like steal our baby. Um, I hated the layout of our house all of a sudden. Didn't think about it twice before our baby was here. But in in our first home, our layout was like our we, all the bedrooms were upstairs and ours was kind of in the back and the like two other bedrooms were before ours. And like, it just drove me nuts all of a sudden after I had him. And I was like, if someone breaks into our house and comes upstairs, they're going to go to the baby's bedrooms first. And like, these were the thoughts that just would never leave my mind to the point where I wasn't sleeping good. I wasn't like, I was waking my husband up several times a night saying like, did you hear that? I think someone's in the house. And he was like, no, no one's here. Go back to bed. It's okay. I would have to get up. And check my house several times a night. And I just thought, oh, this is just because I have a new baby and I'm so worried about taking care of him. But it was a very unhealthy level. And I didn't realize that. (laughs) And then one night, and this is like the running joke in the family. um, Again, it was like, we had a dog and she would always get up with me and like go into the baby's room with me. It was really cute. We still have her. shouldn't say we had we have her (laughs) still but you know anyways she was more of a puppy then but she would follow me into Paxson's room and I would like nurse him and whatever and then I'd go back and she'd follow me back into my room anyway she was kind of like my nighttime buddy and one night she like went straight to the stairs and started growling and like her hair stood up and she was looking at the bottom of the stairs and she was just which granted was like a little weird (laughs) so all of a sudden you know that anxiety starts going off and I'm like oh my gosh someone's here And then all of a sudden I start overthinking the light in the hallway. And I'm like, I turned that light off when I went to bed last time. And so then my mind starts playing with me and I'm like, someone's here. They came upstairs. They turned on the light. My dog's growling. And it was weird. You know, she's standing at the top of the stairs. She's looking down the stairs and she's growling and it's, but it's pitch black down the stairs and I can't see if anyone's down there. The hair on the back of her neck is, you know, is standing up. And so I instantly grab Paxton and I run in, I wake up Reagan and I'm like, someone's in the house. And he's like, what are you talking about? And it's, it's like four in the morning. And I'm like, 
the light is on and I didn't leave the light on and Sage is at the top of the stairs. She's growling. Someone turned on that light and it wasn't me. And he was like, okay, you're crazy, but I'm going to go check. And so I promise the story gets funny. Um, I'll be quick too. And so Reagan gets his like wooden bat that he made in high school, like high school wood shop. And um, that's what he's going to go use to defend us against the robber, which, you know, maybe it would have, maybe it would have done some damage maybe not and he starts going down the stairs and i'm kind of like standing at the top of the stairs like just listening to see if anything happens holding packs and just so nervous and he yells to be not yells but even just says out loud to just kind of be like the man of the house and the protector he says um oh my gosh how was it said it pretty much he said like i know you're here or not not i know you're here but it was like Hey, I have a gun. You better get out of my house or something like that. And I heard they have a gun. Get out of the house. And I instantly run to the, our bedroom. No, what it was. What is, was it? It was No, something. no, no. What? It's, I have a gun and I called the cops. Because you oh, thought they oh, said that's right, that's they right. have a gun, call the that's cops. That's right. That's right. Not get out of the house. I've called the cops. You're right. Thank you. I couldn't <laughs> think of what it was. I'm like, it's something along those lines. Thank you for reminding me. Okay. So he said a couple of times, and I think he said it twice. It was yeah. like, I have a gun and I've got the cops. And what I heard standing from the top of the stairs and in my anxious state was, they have a gun, call the cops. And of course, I instantly freak out. And Reagan loves to laugh about this part because I run to our back bedroom and I lock the door. So I locked Reagan out of our bedroom and left him to fend for the fake robber in our house that had a gun. And he hears me like sprint down the hall and lock the door. And he was like, what the heck was that? Like, what is she doing? And so then he kind of follows up and he's like knocking on the door and I don't want to open it. Cause I'm like, is it him? Is it the person in our house with the gun? I'm like, I, and obviously I'm laughing now, but in hindsight, I was freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, somebody is in our house and they have a gun and they're going to, you know, it was, it was very scary in the moment, but right. just like knocking on the door, like Kelly, let me in. What are you doing? And obviously I could tell it was him. So I let him in and I'm on the phone with 911 telling him that someone's in our house with a gun and Reagan's just like shaking his head. Like, no, no, no. I don't know that anyone's here. Like, I think we're good. And so then he takes the phone from me and the lady's just like, okay, SWAT is on their way. Just stay where you are. And he's like talking to, he's like, well, I don't think anyone is in the house. I was actually just saying like trying to scare someone if they were, my wife was a little freaked out. Anyways, I called the entire city of Linden SWAT team to our house. There were men in all black jumping over our fence, crawling on the, you know, grass. It was like, the most embarrassing moment of my life. <laughs> and it, it was really funny. And at the time, my father-in-law actually worked it for Linden City and he happened to be over the police department. <laughs> and so he gets a call early the next morning of like, so we visited your son and daughter-in-law's house at five in the morning. And it was really good training practice for our SWAT team of what to do if somebody enters someone's home. Anyways, it was, I was so embarrassed when they finally got into the home and I realized that I had worked this thing up in my head to be so much worse than it was. And I mean, I'm not making light of like real situations like that that happened, but the reason why like 
it's just such a funny story and everyone loves to make fun of me for it. And at the time I like, at first, obviously I was like very scared and I kept going back to like, why was my dog growling then? And why was her hair standing up? And what was the thing with the light? Like, I swear I didn't turn that light on. And, you know, I replayed it in my head for weeks and eventually it just became a joke how I called SWAT team. But looking back, it, it really is sad how I didn't realize how much it was affecting my life. And it affected, you know, how well I was nursing because I wasn't eating well well and I wasn't nursing well and you know those things were all really hard for me and I wasn't getting good sleep because I was constantly waking up so many times a night and just really worrying about it um it, but again it like it it eased up eventually and I kind of forgot about it and no big deal I just chalked it up to being a new mom and then with my second it came back and it came back even worse if you can imagine worse <laughs> than that it did and it, I it was again several times a night and then I started getting sleep paralysis and if you've never had sleep paralysis, it can kind of be scary. I would wake up in like a cold sweat and my heart would be beating out of my chest, but I couldn't physically move my body. And it is this state in which your body, your mind is technically still asleep, but your body wakes up. And so you cannot physically move your body until your, your mind, mind catches up with your body. And it can be very scary. And it was for me. I kept thinking like, you know, this is just like weird thinking, but you start making rational reasons for why you're doing this. I'm like, gosh, are there bad spirits in my house? And like, they're waking me up. I don't know. It was just, you know, I started thinking all these things and I started thinking it's me or it's this. I don't know. Anyways, it just, it got to the point where it was actually really hard and really scary. And I didn't talk to a lot of people about it because I thought, I'm weird. There's something wrong with me. I'm, you know, I'm going crazy. I actually thought I was going crazy. And again, I just don't think enough people talk about that anxiety can be a thing because I wasn't depressed. I wasn't sad. I mean, obviously I was like stressed out because I couldn't sleep at night, but I didn't feel like I was depressed. Um, and it wasn't until my sister-in-law told me she finally opened up about, she had some and she said, oh, yeah, my doctor said that it's postpartum anxiety. And all of a sudden it just clicked for me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's why I feel so crazy after I have a baby and why I'm on high alert. And I feel like our home's always being broken into. And anyways, and, you know, everyone's can come in different forms. Hers was like a little different. And she was worried about something else. But it really it, 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 it messes with you. And postpartum depression can do the same. And so I just think it's really important as women that we talk about it, first of all, that you know that you're not alone, that a lot of women go through it, but also that there's a lot of things we can do with our health and that that folic, folic acid versus folate is one thing that they're finally starting to link to postpartum anxiety and depression. When mm -hmm. you take that folate um, acid and your body again like your body still has to take it and it still has to do something with folic it acid. folic oh my gosh <laughs> sorry it's 10 30 at night and neither of us slept last night um so i'll let shelby talk about this part like just the health behind it but there's things we can do to minimize this and then when they do come up there's also things you can do to help okay so yeah so they're linking it but it's kind of like you already described so your body for nine months has taken folic acid that it hasn't actually processed. And then all of a sudden it dumps basically like drastically. It is trying to get all of this out. And so if you've taken folic acid instead of folate, it can really make your anxiety or your depression peak at that time when like all your hormones are basically like, 
trying to trying to readjust detox and go back. Yeah. really quickly. Um, and so that is one key. I would say if there's one thing you focus on is making sure you use folate, not folic acid. Um, again, this is regardless of if you have that genetic mutation, but it, it will be worse if you do have the genetic mutation. Yeah. Um, and if you don't know what we're talking about, again, go listen to, go listen to last, last week. Yeah. Um, but then other things. So of course, having good nutrition in your, and, and so I actually knew even from my first pregnancy, not to take folic acid. I didn't fully understand why until now, mm-hmm. but I knew I needed to take folate. And so I can say like, I didn't really have postpartum anxiety or depression. And I think that was very helpful um, with that. I did, I, I did notice with each pregnancy though, my like the first pregnancy, I had the baby blues the worst. Mm. Then my second pregnancy, it was like a middle ground. And then this last pregnancy, like I barely even noticed them. Yeah. It was yeah, like. you still feel your hormones changing. You may not be like. I know it's like a 100%, little percent. Yeah. It's more like I just felt like, oh, I need to get out of the house and go for a walk. Yeah. That was what I kind of like got to that point where I just am kind of like, oh, I feel off kind of like. It's that sadness, but it's like um, not overwhelming. But I just need to change my scene. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but then also supporting our adrenals, and so uh, we, and our diet and lifestyle from preg well from pre pregnancy on, but especially like when we're in pregnancy, we want to make sure we're eating well, we're supporting our adrenals, and then after because like I already mentioned last podcast, our adrenals is something that gets very taxed. And so some things that we can do is, especially postpartum, it's hard because I know like the recovery stage, it's really easy to kind of just sit there and like be on your phone scrolling or watching TV while you're just like laying there holding your baby, right? Guilty. (laughs) I totally get it. Yes. But that is something that can um, tax our adrenals. And again, it increases our anxiety and depression. Um, so then so I'm- put your red light therapy mask on that happened you got for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> we had this group chat going with my friends and it was like, who got a red light therapy mask? <laughs> put that on instead of the blue light. <laughs> exactly. Um, take time to go outside and get some sunlight. Even, I mean, even here it's hard because it's been cold, but that's something I've been really trying to do is to get outside, get some sunlight for me and the baby. Um, because that's going to be one lifestyle change that's really going to help, again, decrease your chances of, of getting that. Um, and then I would say also just trying to find a support system that will really help too. Um, and I know as women, this is one thing that I've really been trying to do because I understand how, how hard it can be. But I feel like as women... You know, someone's like, oh, can I help you? And we're like, oh, no. Like, I got this. But, like, honestly, taking that help can be one of the best things for your mental health, too, just to really help. And I can honestly say that, like, for me, that was one difference between my first and second pregnancy or, I guess, postpartums versus my last one. Because the first two, we were in Texas. 
And I even told you this the other day. I think I know there's a debate what's harder going from one to two kids or two to three. And a lot of people, I feel like, say two to three because you're outnumbered. Yeah. For me, so far, so far, (laughs) (laughs) debate's still out. But I have said, like, I think going from one to two was harder. Not necessarily because of, like, the dynamic of the kids, but because we were in Texas. And I truly didn't have as much support there as I do here. And that has been night and day difference. And really helped with recovering and, you know, even just feeling like that extra help that is needed. And so if you could find a support system, whether it's family and and truly, like, accept it. Like, I know, um, so, like, both you and our sister-in-law, like, there were times where you're like, hey, what, what do you need? Or is there something I can bring you? And instead of naturally, I want to be like, no, I'm no, fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Being like, okay, what do I need? And so to my to our sister-in-law, I said, you know what? Actually, having some snack food on hand would be really great. And so she came the next day and she brought a, a ton of different like, you know, like veggies and chips and salsa and stuff like that. That was so great for me that, again, when you support yourself – that's one other thing I want to address. <laughs> as women, I feel like we wear wear it as a badge of armor sometimes when we, like, neglect ourselves, but we're taking care of our kids. Yeah. It's like, you know, we were like, oh. I haven't eaten a single healthy meal, like, full meal today, but. But, you know, at yeah. least the kids are good. Yeah. And that's another thing. We can help our kids, especially a newborn, better when we can actually take care of ourselves. Yep. So, again. Do not deplete your nutrients. Do not reduce your calories when you're nursing. I know. And there's also this just like unrealistic expectation to bounce back. Yeah. And I think we're as a society starting to get over that. But we were just talking about this before we <laughs> started recording. But Hollywood does a great job of say what you it's, said. I don't want to steal your line. <laughs> no, you're fine. It's they do a great job of making labor seem like it's awful and postpartum seem like it's this quick and easy thing. And you should just bounce right back. Yeah. And it's I mean, it's just not realistic. Your body is going to take time to bounce back. And when you are nursing and whether you're nursing or not, like just the after effects of giving birth and going through labor, uh, you need more calories. And granted that, you know, that should come from good sources. Mm-hmm. Eating the same amount of calories of processed and snacky foods isn't the same as eating the same amount of calories from whole foods and protein. But like giving your body the nutrients it needs and let's not make it a badge of honor either to be like, oh, I lost 20 pounds in the first week. Like that's just not realistic and we shouldn't be counting calories other than to say, am I getting enough protein? Am I getting am enough I... calories? We shouldn't be trying to reduce our caloric intake. Exactly. And so, so by accepting that help though, we can say like, you know, so sh- my sister-in-law brought some good healthy snack foods. That was so easy that, okay. Because I, I totally get it as, you know, a new mom, especially in the mornings. So hard. The mornings are so hard. And so it's like, I'd go in the morning, but know, knowing that, okay, I need to eat some food, but I can just go into the to the fridge, grab, you know, some already pre-cut vegetables, 
eat some of that chips and salsas. Like protein balls, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, beef sticks, things like that, where it's like, okay, yeah, I can have a quick snack until I can make myself a meal. Yes. Because um, it is hard. We get it. Like you're you're fighting between, do I take a shower? Do I nurse? Do I, you know, I need to do yes. X, Y, and Z. Oh, and if it's not your first, you have several other kids running around that you need to take care of. And they, exactly. we get that it's not easy to put yourself first, but it needs to be a priority. It's like they say on the airline, like you can't help someone if you don't have your own mask on. Yeah. You need to put yours on first so then you can help yeah. someone else. It's the same concept. It's In like motherhood. Yeah. You can't help your children as well if you haven't been able to um, also, you know, take it. Like, especially when it comes to like nursing, it's like you're not going to nurse as well you and your baby aren't going to nurse as well if you're not giving your body the nutrition or healing like your body also needs the right nutrients and things to heal and that's also one thing getting the right nutrients is going to help mitigate that anxiety and depression because mm-hmm. that's truly another thing that it needs is along with you know helping all the hormones yeah. detox but getting those nutrients back up because pregnancy and breastfeeding take a lot. And so if we're not giving our body what it needs, then it's going to manifest in these, you know, harder healing, more anxiety, more depression. Yeah. And so on. So, and of course, obviously if you get to the point where you feel unhealthy, go get help, talk to your spouse about it, talk to family about it. Don't suffer in silence. I think that's one of the most, I mean, think about me. I didn't even realize for two pregnancies. I mean, that's like five years that the things I was going through was very common that many women went through it. And here I was suffering in silence and had I just said something and, and, you know, maybe I told stories here and there, but I don't think I told people how much it was really affecting my everyday life and it, it got to the point where it just became part normal to where I didn't know what normal was anymore because that became my new norm and it, it wasn't healthy um so yeah let's not suffer in silence and if you do feel like you're experiencing these things talk to your provider get some help but I love the you know it, obviously get on medication or whatever if you feel like you're suicidal or having these thoughts go talk to somebody and get help but i love the the idea of if we support our body before during and after our chances of these should reduce drastically and there should be fewer and less women who experience it and who need to get to the point of needing to be on medication and and that's not to say that if you do that you did something wrong not at all. But I again, it just goes back to when you know better, you can do better and you should feel better. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't have any postpartum anxiety, any postpartum depression or baby blues with my fourth. And it just goes to show like I wasn't doing anything wrong as a first time mom with my first one or my second. I wasn't a bad mom. It's like I shouldn't get mad at myself. But I didn't have to experience those things. I didn't have to have those extra trials and those harder moments of being a new mom as I did with those two if I had just known better. So, you know, and that's why we feel so strongly about getting this information out to you guys just so you can have the same, you know, the same information and support. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a village. And I love that (laughs) saying and I'll use it over and over again because 
I mean, motherhood is one of the hardest things you'll ever do, but it's so rewarding. But we, you know, yeah, we don't have to wear these badge of honors of, oh, I never eat or I never take care of myself. I never sleep. I, you know, sometimes it, even with time, it feels like it's a bragging right to say, oh, I'm so busy. And I'm guilty of this. We do it all the time. It almost feels like, oh, if we have nothing on a Saturday or whatever, our lives are so boring, you know? <laughs> but now I'm getting to the point where I'm like, oh, please say that we have nothing, you know? <laughs> so I think sometimes that comes too. Like if you need to slow down life, if you need to slow down things, do it. If you need help, ask for it. Mm -hmm. yeah. even, even though it's hard. Accept it. That's yeah. what, and people are genuinely reaching out because they want to help. I know. I had a friend after my third who brought me snacks and I had never had anyone do that for, you know, everyone brings you meals, which is wonderful too. I mean, all the dinners, all the things, they are so wonderful and so nice. Um, but snacks were huge and something that I never thought. And ever since she did that for me, I, I tried to do, too. yeah, I, it was one of the first things I brought you because I just, you do, you realize, oh, I forget to eat throughout the day. And that's so important when you are nursing. So yeah, just be okay with accepting help. Love that. Okay. Well, that is, that's what we have. Again, we could do a, probably a whole podcast on, on all of these topics individually, but hopefully you got something out of it and that you feel like you have better information to make, uh, just better decisions overall. And let's help reduce these numbers. Let's, let's, try to drop the statistics of maternal mortality rates of postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. Let's support each other as women. Again, we, you know, this is not meant to be medical advice. Always reach out to a trusted practitioner or, um, provider if you are experiencing any of these things, but there is so many things we can do naturally to heal our bodies, to support them, to support our babies. And regardless, you are amazing. Mothers are amazing. Fathers are amazing. As a reminder, this is not meant to be medical advice. This is purely meant to be educational and work with a provider that you trust before making any changes or adding any new medication supplements. Mm -hmm.